to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. That's exactly where we want to start out this morning, just um, that beautiful passage there that Jason went into there in Luke 7. Um, that's, that's exactly what Jesus had on his mind as he was going into this in Luke 15. Uh, you can see the theme of the Holy Spirit leading Luke to write these things out um, in, in those passages like that, and uh, that woman to be able to see there, uh, the, the beauty of just God himself, the beauty of Jesus himself. He's the central figure even in Luke 15, not the younger brother, not the older brother, but instead it's just Jesus himself has to be the the central figure because he's the one, without this crowd even knowing it, the Pharisees and scribes, the tax collectors and sinners, he's the very one who would take all of their sin and die at the cross. So just think about that crowd as you're gathered and, and then the day two years later, three years later, that you're gathered in Jerusalem also, and you see that guy that you're around, the the guy that had those teachings, the guy that had those incredible miracles, the one who you saw um, very religious people mocking, very intelligent, brilliant, rich people mocking, and yet he responded in compassion and grace repeatedly. Never compromising truth, never compromising and saying sin is okay, but having this, this ability to love people who are the worst of the worst. And like that in Luke 7 there, um, to who has been forgiven much, they love much. And so that's kind of the whole point as we've been looking at Luke 15. The tendency in churches that want to teach solid theology and who want to make Scripture matter and the Bible and its doctrines matter, the tendency is for it to come off cold and stagnant and for us to become self-righteous because we do things right. And then you've got the kind of the mainstream church sometimes over here who may not really care about whether we're teaching correctly or, or we don't want to make a doctrine a big matter. We just want to make it real fun and welcoming. So the, the emphasis is what some people say on the front door. The emphasis of many churches is on the front door entrance. From, the, from outside the way it looks to when you get here, just welcome, 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 right? And so then you get inside, and, and sometimes it's kind of watered-down gospel or no gospel or prosperity gospel, or it's just kind of little stories, life points for more practical living, how to have a three solid points of um, a good marriage when COVID strikes, you know, two incredible ways to um, still prosper when the economy fails, and you add in a couple of proverbs, and so it's just kind of um, bible light. And so we would say, no, we we want the full counsel of God's Word to be taught. But in churches that that say that matters, then because we want to be careful, we we start categorizing all these little boxes. And so we've seen here, it it gets us away from, like Jason said at the end, when did we get away from just loving Jesus? When did I 
get 20 little boxes that now I'm so removed from everyone, but I think I'm the right one because that person five boxes over, they're not doing things the way we do things. They're not doing their kids the way that they should. They're not doing their lifestyle the way they should. They're not doing this. And before long, we're just separated. And we're in our little bitty boxes thinking that we're the ones most approved of by God. And sometimes that, that, that mainly happens in our type of churches that, that put an emphasis on doctrine and God's word and say, we're going to stand by this. So um, I want to just do a quick recap of, of Luke 15 as we've seen that, that week one, we, we took the, the broader view of the awareness of our tendencies and blind spots towards that. Uh, we learned that in um, trying to trying so hard and being so good and keeping all the rules, the older brother is the one who finds himself separated from the father in the story. Where most of us grew up hearing Luke 15, and we heard the story taught about the young kid who went off and squandered his living and horrific, um, rebellious living. And all the people in the church loved the story that this God would be so forgiving that he would embrace that younger son who is just pitiful, like all those other people out there. It just feels so good that God's so loving. And that's usually the end of the story. When Jesus actually started the story because of the heart of the Pharisees and scribes. So hopefully you've seen that. There are some books at the back, the Prodigal God book by Tim Keller. So if you haven't been a part with us of going through the whole series, please, those are free. Just take one. Please take one of those books. It kind of explains. And so we, we saw another week, we looked at that younger brother breaking all the rules, separating himself from the father by his rebelliousness. And then the next week, we looked at the older brother in the story who actually found out in Jesus' story from God's heart and God's mind, he's separated also from the father. The younger brother separated from God, not loving God, because he loved himself so much that he wanted freedom and autonomy and wanted to break all the rules. And the younger brother, uh, the older brother then, on the flip side, loved himself so much, loved being so good and so right and keeping all the rules, he wasn't in love with the Father either. He loved himself and found himself separated. So um, now we're looking this week at just this beautiful response of the Father and Jesus leading up to this kind of cliffhanger. How will the older brother type respond? If you notice at the end of the story, the older brother finds himself outside. The party's going on on the inside. For who? The guy who went and lived rebelliously, squandered all the father's inheritance. And so sometimes we find ourselves going, I just, I don't like that. He got to go and keep, break all the rules, and yet the father is, is throwing a celebration for him? That's not fair. That's not right. And yet God is showing us that the point is either person turning and realizing the father is the, the reward, as we just sang. He's the ultimate reward. My, my soul will find its satisfaction in you. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to this crowd. So um, two things that we're going to see here is the, uh, just finishing up this sermon series. Um, first of all, older brother types tend to think we are more godly and more approved of by God by our lists instead of the fruit of our union with Christ. So our union with Christ should be what we're treasuring. But instead, we have our lists that we decide that we're more godly or more approved of. And then secondly, we're going to see um, older brother types can find the satisfying life and true enjoyable righteousness, righteousness they're seeking 
in the grace of God, not in lists. Jesus is holding out for them also, just like the younger brother. It's God himself that's your treasure, your reward. So a few weeks ago, I had everyone stand up according to birth order. And so I said, if you were the oldest child in the family, go ahead and stand up. And I said, if you're the middle child in the, you're in the family and, and you're, the, you're the one that the rules were created for and the older brothers or the older sisters are the ones, they created the rules. And so we get to stand and judge. And then there was the, the baby of the family, right? Or, or if you're an only child. And so you could just look around and go, oh, no wonder they, they, they say those things in group. No wonder they do this. And so um, we could do the same today. We could go, hey, uh, I want everyone to stand up, and if going through this study, or if you've read some of the book, you realize, oh man, I'm completely an older brother type, and and get on one side, and then see how many people will say, oh, I'm completely the younger brother type. I would guess in churches like ours, this number would be tiny over here in in the younger brother types. The older brother types would, would, would fill up the room, and so that's why... We would want to look at this. Every time I've taught this in different churches, people come to me and just saying, saying, I never realized my whole life I've had this older brother heart, and I thought I was the most godly in the room, or I was trying to be, and I didn't realize how many little judgments and little self-righteous things. And so um, let me say this. I think that for the majority of older brother types, there's something that is appealing attractive and desirous about this idea of grace. When I talk to people who struggle with older brother type mentality, they're drawn to it like a moth to the flame. And it sounds good, but then when you start looking at the practicals of it, it's that what I've brought up many times, afraid of grace. Are you saying, Sankey, that we shouldn't? No, I didn't say you shouldn't have certain stances. But, but what if... We relaxed our family stance, and we did this. Are, are you afraid we're just going to just go fall off the cliff into sin? And you're going to, I'm going to bring up some examples again this week of things that, if, if you just follow it to its logical conclusion, it's not taking you off into hell. It's not separating you from God. It's not unbiblical, and it's not sin. It's actually a different stance that sometimes in our little list, in our little box, we've made these categories and boxes that I feel really safe with and I feel really good with, and I'm judging other people because they don't have my same stance. So we're going to see that a little bit again. So there's something attractive about this, but I believe that there's a fear when we begin to talk about it. It sounds so good, but the older brother voice is always screaming, you better not. It's going to lead you to jump off into sin. It's going to lead you to jump off into sin if if you relax your stance. It was taught or learned that if you would build all these extra little rules and lists into your life, it would lead to the freedom and enjoyment of a flooring spiritual life. And I think people go, it hasn't. It hasn't. When I deal with people in our circles, it hasn't. It's led to lists and conformity not to Christ, conformity to externals. We're so worried and all these choices so, so what's the point of going through Luke 15? First of all, just um, that, the, that we want to have orthodoxy and orthopraxy working together. Correct orthodoxy, what we believe are doctrines that lead to right living. And I think that most of us think that's, that's what's happened. We're correct, we're right, our doctrines are right, so obviously we're really good. 
and then someone comes in with a different stance into group or a different view or a different way they do their children, and, and immediately we just we, we freak out. We can't handle it. And so we've got to get to the point where our correct doctrine leads us to being more like Christ, like Luke 7, more loving, more compassionate. The heart of, I can't believe I've been forgiven this much. Oh, your, your family does this wrong and does this and does this, and it's so much different than us, and it's not even wrong, but man, us too, we're at the foot of the cross also. Instead of, I can't believe they do that. And so we're going to bring up some of those. So first of all, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Also, loving and glorifying to God. We're missing out on the very pleasure of God himself. Union with Christ was the whole point. And there's so many things in systematic theology that all of it is, is, is connected to this one central aspect of our union with Christ. When you begin to look at, I mean, you could look at biblical theology. What's it point to? Your union with Christ, which leads you to the Godhead, right? Um, when you look at systematic theology, your union with Christ is what changes everything. So um, loving and glorifying God out of that new identity. It is out of that positioning, your union with Christ, that the new identity where obedience flows out of that. And if we're not careful, if you're just a real, really disciplined person or a list person or a little bit legalistic, we, we start flipping that. I'm approved of because of how good I live. Look, God, look, I, I know doctrine's better than that other church. We have a plurality of elders, and they've got like this old group of deacons. We actually call ours elders. Do you, do you see how good we are, God? Hey, God... That church over there, those 50 churches, they don't even talk about sin. Do you see, God, we talk about sin. We're getting it right, God. You see what we do? We flip it. It's out of our positioning that, that, that we should have grace flowing out of that. So um, we want to be loving God. And so that's why these Pharisees think that they love God more than all. But they were wrong. That's the whole point of the story. And then third, just loving others in the Great Commission. Um, John 13, 36, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you. Jesus has taught the whole time. This should not have been new at all. But notice what he does. He flips it. It's not a new commandment. You've been talking about love for a long time, Jesus. Here's what's new about it. Love one another the same way you love yourself. Because he's been talking about love your enemies this way, pray for those who are persecuting, do these things. Those people that, that, that are out there, the love that we have for one another, that's what the world's going to see. That's different because that is difficult. That is hard. That's not in you to do that naturally. That has got to be a work of God to do that. People with differences. So um, we want to be a place that that's happening. Um, as I hope we're learning, these are not sinful categories, just differences that we're going to see a little bit more of today. I'm going to use some of those examples. Um, if we blindly assume that the church's goal is to fill up these seats with people who do life and, and the way that they're doing their parenting and the way that they're doing their kids' education and the way that their lifestyle is and the way they dress and the way that the, the, the Bible version translation that they read is just the same with every single person, we, we've missed the goal of the church. And sometimes we would say we hate the consumer church, but that's exactly what some of us would come in, thinking that's the goal of the church. I want everyone to agree with me on the same things. Um, so this parable, God's grace for younger brothers and older brother types, should be just going, what kind of God 
would be so graceful and merciful to someone who slapped him in the face and just lived a rebellious, horrific life? And what kind of God would be so graceful and patient with someone who's so blinded by their own self-righteousness, thinking that they're the only ones who get it right, they're the only ones living for God, when they're the ones also separated? What kind of father is this? What kind of God is this? What kind of grace does he have for us? And should encourage us that he has grace for us to change in that. So let me pray after we read um, Luke. I'm going to read Luke 15, 1 through 3 to set that context again, and then 25 through 32, and then we'll pray. It says um, in verse uh, 1 in, first, in, in Luke 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, saying, This man even receives sinners and eats with them. So based off of that, the grumbling, he told them this parable. So in verse 25, now his older brother was in the field. So this is after the younger brother had went off, squandered everything. He repents, turns back, confesses his sin, sees he's separated. The father embraces him, says, you're part of the family again. Uh, and they have this huge celebration. And now the older brother says, now this older brother son, I'm sorry, this older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So notice the father. He comes after him also. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. So, Father, we come to you asking for you to guide us in truth, to help us to see, as we went through these last few weeks, blind spots in our own hearts, judgmental attitudes, self-righteousness, even with good intentions, Father. We pray that you'd help us to be a people that are so um, in love with you, that we love the truth about you, but we also love the grace about you. And that we would recognize, as we saw in Luke 17, um, that idea that we have all been forgiven much. That that would be a forefront filter for us, a gospel filter for us, as we embrace and then look at those uh, that are coming around us, joining our lives, joining our small groups, um, joining us in life. Would you give us eyes of understanding? Would you give us compassion and grace? We pray for the other churches that are around. We pray that you would um, let the true gospel message flow out, that you would redeem a people that you would save people from their sins and save them from themselves, whether that is uh, the selfishness of rebelliousness or the selfishness of um, their own autonomous good living. Would you amaze us with your grace? In your name we pray. Amen. So um, we see here 
I want to bring out, first of all, just this, this, this picture that Jesus was wanting to bring out in those last verses there. Verse 31, he said, son, you are always with me. Jesus' message um, had been clear that there are these two paths that separate us from God, but now he's revealing that to the older brother type who was still removed, not in celebrating, not rejoicing, like the first two parables had brought out, the whole idea is rejoicing and celebrating, and said he's removed from that in his own self-righteousness. And Jesus is revealing here that the, the, the end goal, the treasure, was actually the Father. And it's in those statements that the Father says. When he says, Son, you are always with me. Think through the times that you started hearing the gospel message, whether it was a bad gospel message or a bad altar call, a very pressured altar call. What was the goal? Sometimes it was to get numbers to come down, to you know, bow your head, repeat this after me. And so, you know, hey, I see that hand, I see that hand. And there's, no, there's, there's people that get saved in that. Not, not every person is saved in that. But uh, most of us grew up seeing those things. What was the goal? Was it the idea of immediately, that the first thing after you're dead and you, one second after the new life, that the presence of the Lord, that that's the reward? Or on equal ground with the reward of God himself, is it getting to see your dad and your mom that passed away? Your grandparents that passed away? An aunt, an uncle? Going fishing with grandpa again in heaven? Is that kind of equal up there with God himself? It's going to be completely different. So sometimes we're not sold the product of God himself. We're sold a a Jesus product that is way lesser. And so... um, Jesus here is saying, you're always with me. Is your heart satisfied with me? And what he's revealing to this older brother, you were never satisfied with me. You didn't rejoice with me. You don't rejoice that your brother is now back with me. You don't see the goal as being with me, community with me, communion. Didn't I give you a hint? That's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, in perfect glorification. We're a relational God in our very being, and it's beautiful and rejoicing and perfect. We didn't even have to create. We weren't lacking or bored, and we had to go and create humans and then let them fall into sin just to get to see our value. We were completely valued. This was all for your benefit. This was all for you so you would see the glory of who I am. And so he wanted him to see, you're always with me. All that is mine, meaning all that I am and all that I've provided, it's yours. Why is that not satisfying to your soul? And I think we can all identify that, and we, we, we lack that understanding sometimes. But it's fitting to celebrate. Notice Jesus' wording of this, this, this older, uh, I mean, this, of this father. For your brother is dead, spiritually dead, but now he's alive. So what does that look like? What's, what's he hinting at, even in this, just this little parable? That, that the goal is being alive with the Father, spiritually alive, rebirth, um, recreating what Adam and Eve had, right? And the fall has affected all of that. He was dead and now alive. He was lost. He's found, reconciled with the Father, brought back to the table, enjoying the Father and all that the Father has. And so that's why he's offering. That may not be your Christianity, you may have prayed a prayer, got baptized, and, and, and that is far. That's not why you do your once or twice reading a week. It's because your, your boss is miserable and your job's tough and parenting's tough. And so you have a quiet time to make life more coped with, 
Give me a proverb. Give me, give me a psalm that's helpful. My wife, oh my gosh, my husband. Oh, this, that's, not, that's not in love with God the Father. That's not in love with him. You're doing a quiet time for practical help. And, and the Bible does have practical helps, but are you going, I'm sitting before in silence, the creator of every blade of grass, every molecule that makes up the depths of the ocean, who could number every grain of sand, and I get you. Yep, I have needs. Stuff going on this week, it's busy, it's frustrating. I get you. Is that your quiet time? Coming, going, just like the woman in Luke 7, I'm broken. I see you as everything. So some of us have a different form of Christianity. Um, Older brother types would say that they know that it is their union with Christ to which they accredit all their right standing before God, but it's in their heart attitudes, their lists, they're adding to what the Bible has, adding more and more and more and more lists to make little boxes where I'm more and more and more and more approved of than Tyler and Kaylee, than Jason and Angel, than Kyle and Sierra. Do you see, God? I know better doctrines. I know more than they do. We raise our kids differently. We raise our kids better. We do this, we do that. You see what we do? And Jesus is going, at the foot of the cross, every one of you missed it. So what is it that older brother types might secretly crave? First of all, it's just being right. Sometimes older brother types, you're just the type of person who tends to, you want to be right in everything. Also being approved of. Um, think through that. That's something that you would struggle with. It's really what, um, in fact, it's really what drives older brother types crazy with the younger brother types because they, they tend to not care about the rules, right? Like, how can you not care about the rules? If we don't have rules, I mean, what defines us? If we don't have, if we don't have our list and rules, and that drives us crazy. Like, he's just not going by the rules. It's driving me crazy. And that's what's defining us sometimes as we become a people of our list of what we do and what we don't do, not our love for Christ. Um, so think through if, that, if that's frustrating and bothering to you. Over the last few weeks, I've tried to bring up some different lists that we've just gone through. And these are things that we've not heard like 10 times or five times, like 80 100, 150 um, statements that people make I brought, I brought up. that Sometimes it's in small groups. Sometimes it's like the, in the, the, the doorway of church and you meet people and there's six or eight people standing there and we've all been standing there and you're kind of greeting one another. And, and usually when you're, you're meeting people, they'll say, so now what do you do? Or, or what, where are you guys from? Um, what, what church are you from? And sometimes there's, there's these little hidden meanings because they're wanting to hear what church you're from. And if you say one of those that's just like off, then they just kind of, oh, okay. Box, they're in a box over here. They're, they're categorized over here. Oh, you do what for a living? Oh, he's really poor and not blessed by God. Or he's just like really worldly and super successful. And so we, we just categorize people. These little comments come out in ways. And so the people that are standing around in a group or in, um, sometimes it, we've just had it happening when there's people visiting. Um, 
and people get the hint when we, we throw these little things out here. I shared how we were, one time Jamie was just kind of sharing about it. Golly, and these, they were little. Oh, my gosh. If they could see our life the last three weeks, that uh, we have our boys are all three playing football. And this was when they were little, like doing barely anything. And they only get to do one thing at a time. And so she had just said, oh, yeah, just, you know, it's just busy. And, oh, man, it's so tough getting in and trying to fix dinner at, you know, 630. You know, and, and so, well, that person, their rule was kids were asleep at 7. Kids were in bed at 7. You satanic parents are just feeding your kids at 630? And so it come out, well, that, that's exactly why we chose not to do sports as a family, because we wanted to have meals together every night, not, not processed foods. We wanted to have very wholesome home-cooked meals. Other moms in that circle took note. That's what kind of people we are. So show us your cards. What kind of people are you? Um, we would never let our kids have an iPhone until fill-in-the-blank age. So what's crazy is Jamie and I move up here, and we were just like, we just don't want them to have devices early on and stuff. And we, we moved here to Tulsa, and it was like everyone from six, six years old, six, seven, eight, everyone had them. So our boys are like six, seven, eight, not allowed till, till they're 13 to have them. So in that crowd, literally parents were like turning us into DHS because our kids had to put up with our ridiculous cultish parenting. And, and that's, what it's, that's what your kids think. Because, I mean, the other six-year-old and six to seven that whole year, that's a long time, right, of the other kids. Seven to eight, eight to nine, nine to ten. And so you're this horrific, just abusive parent, right? And these people are probably like, oh, gosh, they don't even believe in the Internet. Um, they're, they're afraid of iPhones. And so uh, all these different things. And we're looked at as these crazy cultish people on that one. And then, but then inside the church, what's weird? Then, then you have people like, oh, you gave your 13-year-old a phone? Oh, well, they're going to hell. I mean, and probably you also. I mean, we don't give our kids uh, phones till 17. So do you see our stance? So here's my box. My box is 17. Yours is 13. You're horrible. You're pathetic. What about the people over here that are six and they give their six-year-old? So which, which one? Do you see what we do? That's just on, on, on devices. And so um, everyone should hate Steve Jobs for these things. And so um, we would never farm our kids out to the liberal public school agenda. Do you know how many people that we've been around in our circles that that's the deal? Anyone sitting there who sends kids to public school, they get the point. I'm a satanic parent. Sending my kids off to the wolves, destroyed. We would never... Isolate our kids and homeschool them. Um, we want them to learn to live for Christ and live on mission. And in that group, anyone who's decided to homeschool, I guess we're horrible because we have not sent our kids out into the mission field. So you see what we do? Here's my box. Here's how we live. How do you measure up? Anyone who's sitting around, they get the point. So choose your position, choose your poison, because it's all sin and ridiculous to somebody, right? And all of it, we miss enjoying Christ. The point's taken. This is what kind of people we are, so what kind of people are you? Um, 
I talked about the, the different things we in these circles. I remember when I started running into this uh, in, in our theological discussions at places. Um, when you look at worship songs and stuff, and so you've got one person over here just like, you know, like uh, the, the Corey Asbury song, and I mentioned that. There's probably people that left because I mentioned Corey Asbury. And so um, the, uh, the, I don't even know the words, the... Um, you got one person over here just enjoying um, the overwhelming, never-ending uh, love of God, a reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I, I just can't believe it. He's just worshiping God through the song. Do you not know about Bethel? Could we get lunch this week? I think I saw you trying to worship. It was satanic what you were doing. You're, you're, you're rejoicing in a song that was written by a church that we don't agree with. Which person's Luke 7? Which person's Luke 15? We do it all the time with worship stuff. We do it all the time. Uh, what, what, what about these? Um, Halloween um, or Christmas. One time we were sitting in a group, and there was uh, some people, that, and, and they were just saying, man, oh, God, we're just exhausted. It was a Sunday night group, and they were talking, oh, we're exhausted. We spent all day Saturday um, just going up in the attic, bringing all of our Christmas decorations down, and we're putting up lights all over the house. Gaithers over here don't like to hear that. You're making Christmas idolatry really lights Everyone knows that Christmas has become so commercialized, so materialistic, that we've, we've removed Jesus, and you're part of the problem. Our kids are happy. We put a little brown box that we get there, no tree. Um, you've got people whose just alarms are going off. It, it, trick or treat. Um, if you allow kids to trick or treat or participate in Halloween, you're participating with demons. Okay, so some of you may have that sense. In our, in our church in Northwest Arkansas, um, I came in one day, um, and there was a bale of hay sitting on our front porch, and there were three little um, pumpkins. As a bachelor, you never get bales of hay uh, and, and pumpkins. And so I walk in, I'm like, hey, did someone just drop off some weird stuff on our front porch? She's like, no, I, got the, I found this bale of hay and pumpkins. And I was like, oh, okay, and what for? And she's like, it's fall. You decorate for fall season. That Sunday night, we had youth over, and the associate pastor of the church, his three kids come. And they walk in, and they were like, what is going on on the front porch? If our dad would have dropped us off, we would not have been allowed to come. And, we're, and you know, again, I'm like, what's going on on the front porch? Those jack-o'-lanterns. You guys are celebrating Halloween? That's satanic. You're worshiping demons. So they're like, you know, holding up their cross fingers at every kid that walks in the door. So what's worse, the kid who puts on a little um, $8 suit of plastic or the kid who is, you know, in a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old in his class of 30 kids and he's trying to just, uh, you know, get it deep down into his soul that candy is bad, candy is bad, candy is bad. And he's trying to give a theological treatise to other six and seven-year-olds on the doctrine of demons. Do you want that kid? You're going to have to pay for counseling later on, okay? So just, just know that in, in your stance, and, and I'm joking with that because maybe you really have a stance that you don't want them to participate in Halloween, and that is fine. I'm, the, the, remember, the point with Jesus is not to get the older brother types to go and sin. But sometimes it's not sin that we're so worried about. We're terrified. We're afraid of the grace and the freedoms that others could have to allow their kids to participate in something or their family to do things different, not sinful at all, 
but we're, we're judging them. We're thinking it's wrong. Um, older brother types tend to think we're more godly, more approved of by God, by our lists, instead of our union with Christ. And so here, here's, what, here's the steps that we take. We move beyond our union with Christ to my own personal stance. Here's my stance. And then we form scripture around my stance. I find some scriptures that I think back up my stance, whatever that is. Then, now that I have my stance, anyone that has a different stance than mine is less godly, it's sin, and it's less approved of by God. Why? Because we know I'm right, and I'm biblical. Don't question me on my stance. Let, let me lay out for you my verses on why Halloween is satanic. And I know we all go, so, thank you, these are kind of absurd and silly. Uh, guys, these, these are, uh, this, is not, this is not one or two couples. This is, not, this is 15, 20 different families that do different things. And so that, that one, again, my point is not hey, for you to now start doing Halloween if you have a strong conviction or to abstain from Halloween or whatever it is. Um, it sounds silly for, 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 for those people, right? But does anyone have a strong stance against Christmas trees? Lots of lights for Christmas? Number of presents? Jesus only got three. There's lots of blogs out there on that one, right? Sankey, don't be silly. Santa Claus? Oh, crap. He went there. Elf on the shelf? Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Just think through. There's thousands of blogs written on this stuff. Afraid of grace? Afraid that your 32 year old daughter is going to be literally 32 years old running around a house every year in December looking for the elf on the shelf, just confused because you just threw them in a tizzy and now they're, they're an adult still just wondering, I just don't know it. At my office, there's just not, I can't find the elf. What's going on? No, that, that, we're going to mature out of that, right? So when you're thinking through that, just what is it that you're afraid of? Think, follow the logical conclusion. If I'm afraid of this stance or being okay with this, what's it going to lead to? We tend to think we are more godly and more approved of by our lists instead of our fruit of our union with Christ. When Jesus is trying to show God himself is what the reward is, um, remember Matthew 5, um, 2 through 10? So one of the earliest teachings, so the famous Sermon on the Mount, we went through it a few months ago, maybe over a year ago. We just taught through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed. So that word blessed mean, means, as markarios in Greek, just means happy and satisfied. Happy and satisfied. And then what he said after that does not sound like it would lead to happiness or satisfaction. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the elite rich who had it all, or the elite religious who were supposed to be closest to God, and, and the picture Jesus gives here of the poor in spirit, in Aramaic, what that picture was of this, this beggar that would sit outside the, the marketplaces and cover his face with one hand and have a hand trembling up, waiting for people to throw little coins in. He was ashamed. He was an outcast. That type of beggar, Jesus went, that's what you are before me. 
you're spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer. I come and fill your hand with grace. That's the person who is blessed. And that crowd was shocked by that message. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. If you went a little bit deeper, mourning over your sin, for they will be comforted. It's not a request for the emotional. Blessed are those who mourn because your dad, yeah, yeah, your dad died, your mom died, you lost a puppy. Yes, yes, mourning. God will meet you in that grief, will meet you in that. But it, the focus there is those who mourn over their sin and see their need, you're going to be comforted by the grace of God, is what Jesus is showing there. Blessed are those who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. The meek get trampled. They lose and lose and lose in life. So do you see what Jesus is doing there? Um, He's showing us this picture that communion with God is what the goal is. Communion with God, all all through that, he was teaching, this is countercultural. This is completely different from what, what you've thought was being closer to God. Communion with God and being with him is the goal. Some of these get so um, crazy. The, the truth is that we, sometimes we think as older brother types that the more lists we get, the more lists we perform, the list of what we will do and what we won't do will lead us to the freedom that we were thinking we were going to get in Christianity. We're, we're free, and it doesn't lead to more freedom. We thought it would lead to more enjoyment in God, and it doesn't. So you may have grown up in a church like that. So we think we're more godly and more approved of by God by our lists instead of the fruit of our union with Christ. And then the second thing there in closing is that older brother types can actually find the satisfying life, the enjoyable, true righteousness that they thought that they were seeking by making all their lists, but returning back to just God himself to turning back to our union with Christ. God wanted you to experience life, not tight, heavy oppression. One of the most powerful things for working with Muslims, because they have this whole list of rules that they live, it's heaped on them. The list of tight rules is when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. When we lived in California in the summers and we were working with some Muslims at different places, and I would just share that verse with them. They would just break under the yoke of that. They're tired and oppressed by trying to keep all these rules. And here's Jesus going, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. I'm the truth and the life. So sometimes, weirdly, in our circles, it's almost like the Muslims. We need to hear that. It's not by your lists and all these rules that you're adding on to Scripture. Jesus points out that our communion with God, the Father in the story, is, is, is what we're doing. And if we're not careful, we're discipling people in lists. If you want proof, so how satisfying and joyful is your devotional time? Have your list and rules for your family or yourself, is it leading to this just enjoyable, life-giving fruit? Nine out of ten older brother types I talk with they don't. And you'll gut it out in your 30s. You'll get to your 40s and people start having midlife crisis and start seeing that, man, everything I planned, it's not working out like I thought, and even God's not working out. 
I've kept all the rules. I've done everything. I'm not living like those people over there. Don't you see? Nine out of ten older brother types struggle with this idea of, of God just barely tolerating them. Yeah, I know the idea, the theory that God loves us is there, but, but I don't feel close to God. And Jesus was trying to bring out this idea that, do you understand that the Heavenly Father has this deep intimacy, this communion that he wants with you? So, um, the lists go on and on. I've tried to lay out different ones that you may have heard. Um, We've had them all the way from, um, uh, we were in a a group study, and there was about 40 people in a a room, and it was a Wednesday night study. And um, uh, I purpose, not purposely, I I like um, dark makeup around the eyes. So like Jamie, she's Mexican. uh, That's my wife. And so she, I I like um, or makeup, I like dark stuff around the eyes. And we're sitting in a group study one time, and, and this woman, literally, so we, we thought it was kind of hinted at us, but um, what she said was, um, the Bible says women who wear dark eye makeup are harlots. Okay. You kind of look around the room. Most guys weren't wearing very much makeup. And so then, uh, then the women, you look around, and so you kind of walk out. And so l- let's take that to its logical conclusion. Here's Jamie. If she starts wearing makeup really dark around her eyes, it's going to lead her to being a harlot. That's the woman's logical conclusion. Do you see what we do? Is the woman ignorant about the cultural norms in 1900 years ago? Was the woman ignorant about those things? We had women who struggled secretly with their own body image, their own value of self, their own um, identity, but in a form of godliness, external godliness, I will only look like this out here and, and literally um, would, would almost try to look kind of rough because the misinterpreted scriptures in the New Testament, like if you, if you tried to take care of yourself, but yet would be up at 4.30 jogging and sprinting on a treadmill for an hour, but, but yet so like, oh, I would never wear makeup. I would never wear this. I would never go to a beach because there's other women there that have bathing suits on. So insecurely and and struggling with this vacuum inside myself, but you know what we use? Hey, let's use the old Christian modesty card. I would would never wear makeup. They're harlots. I would never do that. Do Do you see what we do? It gets weird. And people come and visit your church, come and visit your small group, and we throw out these little bitty lines I would never, I would never, I would never. We're afraid of grace. Um, Just know, if you've made categories of right and wrong, sin and not sin, in areas that God gave freedom to choose and enjoy him, you're the one that's standing in your little boxes that Jesus is going, come in, come back in, lay lay down all the judgments, lay down all the self-righteousness, it's not go and now sin. Jesus was not pointing to that. Jesus was never, he was the one dying for sin. And so I have a hard time relating. Um, I asked earlier on um, a couple of other earlier sermons, who are the people that you hate and are disgusted by? 
Who has possibly even the church taught you to be disgusted by? I go sit right over here at 61st and Peoria a lot and just kind of watch. Um, and lots of foot traffic, lots of rough, rough stuff. And sometimes I'll have a bad day and I, I'm complaining in my mind to God how much we don't have and how little we make and how old my vehicles are and what our boys don't have compared to some other people around. And then I'll go sit over there just for a little bit and just see what life is like for a great majority of people. Who, who's disgusting to you? Go get your food and go sit in Coxsaver over here. That little place where everyone shops. Just go sit there. Get your lunch and go sit over there. Watch the crowd of people. Daddies, moms, have you taught your little boys and girls to be disgusted by gossipers? By social media slanderers? By jealous, greedy, super successful, living to kill it for the world? You taught them to be disgusted? Are those type of people disgusted by discontent church consumers who go through more vehicles and possessions and church memberships in five years than most people do in a lifetime? And it's at an epidemic rate. Are we teaching them to be disgusted towards gluttony, laziness, sins of the tongue, slothfulness? Aren't we terrified and fearful of what will happen to them if they fall into any of those destructive, obvious sins? Or are those the ones that we get to keep inside the church? We're not teaching disgust towards self-righteousness, judgmental, irritable, impatient, angry types. Some people drown their sorrows and regrets and depression in beer and wine, and alcohol, into debauchery and drunkenness. Some drown their sorrows and depression in slothfulness and food and laziness on their couch. Maybe even watching one more podcast. Reading one more book. Some people attempt to feel the desire for acceptance in sexual and moral relationships. Some use a screen and a keyboard, and then some by how good and right and godly they appear. And Jesus was saying to all of them, come, I see, I see through all that you're doing on the outside. I see through all that you're trying to do. Come, I'll, I'll pay for that for you. I offer you the true righteousness. I offer you God himself, the Father. That's what I'm trying to bring to you. Um, I don't identify with the older brother type. I felt like when God was leading us to plant church, that was fine. If I was in an extreme um, liberal area, I did not. I had a list of 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 cities. Tulsa was not on it um, because of the um, synchronization of spiritual um, stuff that goes on in Tulsa knowing that Tulsa did need some solid gospel churches. Um, so I identify completely with the younger brother type. I've always been the younger brother type. Um, so, and I, I feel like in this crowd, there's, there's, there, there might be maybe a handful that would be the younger brother types. In being always identifying with the younger brother types. Now here I am at this age, 
and disgusted by people laying out their righteous list, disgusted by it, and seeing send people all kinds of different levels, hearing all these little things, um, knowing what people judge you, your family by, um, either we're too poor for some people, we're not blessed by God, because in Tulsa, if you're blessed by God, it shows in how much fruit that's there financially, and or so then over here, if, if they come and they drive into our neighborhood and see our house that we stole as a foreclosure, they're like, oh God, you're really materialistic, and that's huge, and and then, um, then you, just people judging for different things, all kinds of things. My, um, let me get real personal. Um, my dad's been dead for 22 years. Um, mom's been dead for six years. Grandparents on one side never met them. Uh, others been dead for 22 years and 18 years. Uh, three men, so since dad's gone, um, three different men I asked to kind of mentor or disciple me that were pastors around, um, and, and all three just ended up, it was a no on all occasions. One guy, the morning I asked, literally, um, he got up at the end of the service and, and read his goodbye letter to the church and stuff, and so um, I was like, okay, God, here we go again. And so every time, God just keeps going, I, I, I'm enough, I'm enough. Um, I had some professors at Southern that I would just look to, and they were, they were helpful. And I thought, man, if we move there, there would be these guys. And then there was a guy who even in church planting, that he, he's coached hundreds of church planters. I uh, think like he's, he's been kind of the sounding board and guys for guys like Matt Chandler. and some, He has a whole list of people. He doesn't even bring up their names, that they kind of lean to him and stuff on stuff. And uh, I, I'm meeting with him for about you know, six months. I was in a workshop with him or a... Uh, uh, a little cohort with him, and head-on collision, he gets killed. So even trying to go, hey, God, would you just, you know, someone that I could learn from, something like that, uh, several leaders and mentors like that, that just it just never happened. Um, three lead pastors that have been above me went under church discipline in different forms. Um, difficult to learn and trust and grow when the, the, the lead guy, the senior pastor, is under church discipline in the church. Very difficult to sit there and trust that. Um, close family members, close relatives killed us off for money, just ended us. So we're dead to family locally uh, for, for money. Uh, many friends disappear. Um, some people settle up beside you for a few months. Uh, some find out uh, that you, some later on you find out that as they come and they fi- find a, a weak little church plant, they've got their own agenda of what they want to happen in a church, and they can do it in different ways. Uh, some people that you find out, they come because they've got crazy families, and it all looks good on the outside, but behind closed doors, it, it's a mess. It's chaos. So when they walk in the door and everything looks really great and tight, I just I have alarms going off also. And so... Um, Church planting has very, very little, if any, gratification. So, so no boasting, no, no pride boosters, uh, a slap in the face, mostly with relational crap, uh, people's junk, difficult every week and month. And so the last thing, the last thing that I feel through all of those things, here's how much your Heavenly Father loves you. He wants to be close to you. Show me. I kept all the rules. Put myself under that guy and that guy and that guy, and they went and did this stuff. Here's this guy over here who's, who's giving away iPads to get more people to gather up. Literally giving away $1,000 to the kids, uh, three kids who bring the most kids to get people to come to the church because that's success. Other guys buying jets and, and million-dollar homes telling people that you've got to give more 
for God to multiply that times 100. Are you kidding me, God? Seeing families just going on with Christmas and, and things. Going, are, are, this is what we get? So I lay out my case before God. Are you kidding me? Here's what we're trying to do. Do you know how difficult this is? He clears it off the table. Thank you, are you finished? All you have is Christ. I've got a wife who can endure pain and hurt and betrayal like no other. Um, got three boys who, no guarantees, no matter what we've tried to do, no guarantee at 18 that they're going to walk with the Lord. Could be cancer, could be car wreck, could be a stroke. All you have is Christ. Don't make it about your lists. I'm an ultimate younger brother type, always asking why, why, why. And I can lay out my case. Are you kidding me, God? Didn't I do this and this and this? Didn't, haven't I tried to do it this way? I thought you were doing it for me. I thought I was worthy of that. No matter what your chosen path is. So, even younger brother types can get off into holding our righteousness before God, saying, don't I deserve this? Shouldn't something better come my way? So if you're an older brother type, or if you're a younger brother type, is Christ enough? The guy sitting at the story, what was that like hearing that? This gentle guy telling the story, just trying to open up for people to see their hearts, their need for salvation. And so I want us to be a place where we do have solid doctrine, but our solid doctrine leads us to be humble in our orthodoxy, humble in our orthopraxy, where we're gracious and merciful and loving to people, not making more lists to, to let people at the door know whether they fit in or not. We've got to be a place that, that, that's different in that way, that graciousness and compassion are leading the way. Does it mean we're going to be okay with sin and just, just let go, everyone go off to sin? We're probably not going to struggle with that. We're way over here on the other side, right? So think through where your heart's at with that. Is Christ enough? Is Jesus enough? Is he satisfying what he's done? I'm not asking you to stop your lists, whatever your stances are. Just don't judge others and go find your biblical support of three or four verses and now judge everyone else by you're not as godly, you're not biblical. Let, let's enjoy God together. Let's enjoy one another and even enjoy the messiness of bringing other people in as God brings them into the kingdom. That's what church plants should be doing. So let me pray and close this. Father, we are um, all just face down at the cross, as we sang earlier. We're in need and yet, we like to very quickly stand up and brush ourselves off and present ourselves as very good, good people. Very right, very biblical. And if we are biblical, or if we are right in a stance, it was only grace that led us there. We're all deserving of wrath. And yet, while we were deserving of wrath, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
God, would you help us to be a people who that gospel filter is so thick that we, we, we um, don't see self-righteousness and judgment crowding up. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see these things, Father. We'll never be able to engage with a lost, difficult, complex, hurting, and very different people if we have all these blocks in the way. Jesus, we thank you for the message. We thank you that this was your heart. This was the heart of the Father. This was the heart of the Spirit. Thank you that you took the time to show us ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. So we'll go into the Lord's Supper now. And we do it here where open communion is um, where if you're a member of another church, if you're a believer and you're following Christ and you're not in church discipline, you're able to participate with that um, with us um, if you're visiting. Um, some churches have closed communion, meaning that if you're not a member on the rolls there, you can't participate. We don't do that. Um, but we do say that we want you to do it with soberality, meaning just if, if you've been in a pattern of just unrepentant sin all week, maybe you need to step back and just really rethink where your heart's at with Christ. If you're a person that's never truly accepted Christ and you're not a follower of Christ and you've never been saved, we say don't partake with us, that, that this may be the time that, this, that you would just stop for the first time and truly cry out for just repentance and faith and cry, cry out for the mercy that God offers in the gospel. So don't partake, but partake of Christ instead. And for those who maybe have had a rough week and you, and you come and you say, um, man, it's not been a perfect week. Maybe this is that thing that you can look to and say, it's not based on what I do. I rejoice that, Christ, you did this in my place, that it's not based on my works this week, that you provide your righteousness, that you provide your forgiveness, and that it covers what I've done this week wrong. And so we get to partake of that because we want him. We don't want the Bible. We don't want elements. We don't want heaven. We want him. This is why we rejoice in him in the Lord's Supper. We get him in that. So that's what we're after. So I'm going to give you a couple of moments just to pray and consider where your hearts are at, and then we'll go to the Lord's Supper.